There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. Uh, you know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes. Unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane. Unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. And most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time to say All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's up? I don't even know why I played the Open today. This is going to be the most incredibly short show ever. We've got about an hour to kill today on RCST. We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. He'll join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We're also going to be joined by Josh Klingler. Talk a little Chiefs football ahead of their first preseason game. He's the sideline reporter for the Chiefs radio network. And we'll let you hear some audio. Lance Leipold spoke with the media earlier today as KU football had a padded practice. So very simple show today. Royals had to, of course, lose, as always, when they take up most of the show's time. Lost 5-2. to two. Carlos Santana continues to struggle. Whit Merrifield actually got thrown out on the base pass for, I think that was the first time since like the first week or two of the season. But every time, David Lesky pointed this out on Twitter, he has reached the bag before he's been tagged out on all of his steal attempts this year. He just ended up being off the base pass as he made his way past the bag at the end there, which is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for the the first, what, two hours of the show? We got one hour to go. Jesse Newell joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson in with you today on a short edition of RCST. Jesse, KU lands a five-star recruit in MJ Rice. KU football getting ready to start their season. Start you out with this one. More wins for KU football in 2021 or more McDonald's All-Americans that play for KU in 2022 on the basketball court. <laughs> oh, man. Way too early after math and lots of thinking here. <laughs> um, you know, it's, 
that's probably a pretty good line, right? Uh, most people are thinking KU one or one and a half, and um, we'll see who ends up in Lawrence in 2022 and what happens there. But uh, I'll probably go with non-Americans uh, just simply based on the fact that there's been some discussion of this at fall camp for Kansas, but the reality of the situation is the reality. I mean, basically no Power 5 coach in history has had to do something that Lance Leipold is trying to do right now, which is all in the summer and everything else come out and um, completely remake his roster, have everybody come and learn all his plays and his playbook and him learn the people himself. And then, oh, by the way, three weeks later, come and, you know, three and a half weeks later, come and try to play a football game and, and win some football games. So I, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen with Lance Leipold in tenure at Kansas. I, I think there's reasons, there are reasons to be optimistic about him in the future, but this year, I, it could be rough. It really could be rough for Kansas, especially with the schedule they play. So I'll go with McDonald's All-Americans, and I think that's just more of the reality situation with KU football rather than anything else. Well, we don't know for sure. I mean, MJ Rice is obviously committed, and you would think he's going to be a McDonald's All-American, but he's kind of on the fringe. Same with a guy like Grady Dick, and there have also been the rumors with MJ Rice about possibly going the pro route as well. So I, I think, honestly, like that could be a, a really good prop bet. I'm going to try to pitch that to like Bovada or Vegas or something. Yeah, you're probably close. You're probably in the minus 100, 105 range. So, yeah, you're probably even, evening out the money on both sides of this. Talking with Jesse Newell here of the Kansas City Star, uh, the gains that we've seen some of these players go through, and every time we talk to them, we we get to hear different stories about, hey, I gained this much muscle or, or lost weight, or we hear different stories about players adding athleticism, whether it's adding something to the vertical jump or their 40 time or whatever. Uh, is is this just a cycle that we're falling into with the normal offseason where, hey, these guys are, are getting bigger, stronger, faster, and especially with a new head coach who are more focusing on it? Or does this actually seem different than in years past for what we're seeing with some of these players' gains in terms of their athleticism and, and weight and so forth? Both. No, I think you're on a lot of there, Jerick. For one, you know, I wrote about this morning too, so I don't want to – I'm guilty as charged, I guess, but – um, the thing about it is when enough players talk about it, it's a story. You know, it, it is something. And at some point, perception is reality. And you have guys that keep coming on the microphone, even without really being prompted, saying how much better they feel about their bodies, how they've lost fat or they've gained muscle, and they look around the locker room and they feel that same sort of thing about their teammates. Again, um, maybe maybe this is kind of the natural transition when you have a different strength coach. But at the same time, if all these players are saying this and believing this, then it's definitely something to write about and something to talk about. And you're right, it's going to be different with strength coaches, and they're going to focus on different things. I think one great example is that, um, you know, with uh, with this current staff and Matt Gildersleeve, he's a guy that, um, you know, he really looks at the numbers, the measurements, the force plates, and then obviously has lots of nutrition uh, when he's going into it. So um, he has kind of track of all those sorts of numbers and look at all those sorts of things. That seems like something that, and Ian Appione did not have as much of a grip on. But, again, these guys seem like they're feeling better. They talk about all these things that, uh, that, that seem to be going well for them. So it is a story. But, again, we shouldn't go overboard because every team has a strength coach. And KU has a new one. So, um, you know, there could be good results from that. But uh, we'll see. The longer term, we'll be able to tell us that. What do you think this year would be the best-case scenario for KU versus the worst-case scenario in terms of – I guess, on the field results or just what you see specifically from the team? Um, well, I mean, worst case is obvious, right? Um, KU lost, KU won no games last year, and they 
could win no games this year. Uh, I just mentioned the schedule. Um, it's pretty tough. You know, this is not the year you want to be playing two non-conference road games. One of them against Duke, which is still a power five opponent, and the other one against Coastal Carolina, which is going to be jacked up. And obviously they're a team that finished in the top 25 last year and, and you know, surprised a lot of people. So you really circle that South Dakota game and you say, um, it's, it's just, it's honestly, it's like the worst timing for Kansas because what you would love if you were Kansas is to have a South Dakota game like two or three months in when guys actually know what they're doing. But instead you have it on a Friday to start off the season when the guys are going to know at least about the system that they're, they're running. And that game really could be the season for KU. Like that's the chance at a victory. That's the real chance of the victory. And they'll have 11 chances after that, but you know, one of them you have a 50% chance and the others you have a 2% chance or a 5% chance. So that's the worst case. I mean, the best case, I think you just, uh, you know, you see the progress from the team. You see signs of the discipline. You see guys that transfer coming in and then starting to lay that groundwork. And, um, you know, how long has it been since the coach started off at Kansas and just had a great first game? I mean, what if Kansas just came out and beat South Dakota, you know, 42 to 20 or something? I mean, it's been a long time since that sort of thing has happened. And, you know, these coaches have even struggled to win that first game. And, and I just told you, I think Lance Michael's been struggling to win that first game just based off the circumstances he has. But if Kansas is the South Dakota game, you don't know what's going to happen exactly in the Big 12. We figure a lot of those teams are going to be good. But what if there's a team like a Texas Tech or a Kansas State or a West Virginia, whoever it may be, that falls off a little bit? Maybe two of them do, and then you're able to surprise them on a certain day, get a few more turnovers. Hey, maybe you get two wins. Maybe you get three wins. I mean, I, if it got two wins, I, I would think that most fans would take that to the bank and happy about that. And then, uh, as most fans do, we want the basketball season right after that because uh, obviously Bill Self's going to have himself by the squad this year. But this is just laying the groundwork, and I think that this growth for this particular staff could be more, um, going back to the math class, more exponential than linear. And what I mean by that is I don't necessarily see, you know, two wins, three wins, four wins, five wins. I think it could be more like zero wins, four wins, six wins, that sort of thing, because they inherit kind of a young roster, and they inherit a roster that should be able to grow in their system, and they inherit a roster that has some talent left over from the West Miles regime. So um, even if this year's ugly, I wouldn't give up hope on Kansas football, but I think the reality of the matter is, because of the circumstances involved, it could be an ugly year, and being winless for a second straight year definitely isn't out of the question. Yeah, I think as far as the like wins and losses, I, they can just be better, but not see it in the wins and losses because of how far behind they were last year. Like they could just be a better team that's more competitive um, and isn't getting on average out yarded 200 yards per game in Big 12 play, but you don't see the win-loss results. I think for the win-loss results to come, and when I say that I don't mean a bowl team or something, I just mean, you know, a two, three, four win team. For them to be better there, I think you have to identify areas where they won't be the worst in the Big 12 at this or that. And as I'm going through that in my head, one that comes to mind is can you be better than the worst team in terms of the running game with the outside zone, with the stable of running backs you have, with hopefully you, if you're Lance Leipold, an improved offensive line. Is there any areas that you think that could be the top candidates for, if I were to tell you KU is not the worst in the Big 12 at this or at this position group or this facet of the game, what would that be? Yeah, and you're bringing up a good point, Derek, because I think everybody's like, well, they'll just win a couple games. They're just going to do it. But, I mean, you're talking kind of down into what is the reality of this. It's like Kansas comes into the season as worse than the Big 12 in most of these areas, and now they're starting over with a new coaching staff. And 
<laughs> you know, how are you going to win a Big 12 game if we're considering them or trying to figure out a position group where they are not the worst in the Big 12? I mean, that's, that's a rough place to start from. Um, I, you know, I, I think this coaching staff, what they do pride themselves on is that they find strengths, they find where their personnel groups are the best, and then they kind of cater their offense to that, and they're multiple enough to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, it's still only, what, six days into camp. I still think they're trying to answer those questions. It, it's weird to say that offensive line might be that when KU gave up more sacks per game last year than any team uh, that I can find tracked in Power 5 history. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the sort of jump you would think, but they are better in there. They added Mike Nowitzki, uh, the center, who should do great things, uh, you know, right off the bat and is well thought of, should be an NFL guy uh, someday. So, and they have experience. They have lots of guys coming back. They have some super seniors that, that should fill in roles there. They should have depth. Um, so, and, and Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, just from the early conversations with him, I, I think he is, he knows what he's doing. He's really well-respected, and I think if anybody's going to get the most out of those guys, it's probably him. So I'd probably start at the offensive line. Again, I, I, I mean, that's a really risky proposition based off how many sacks they gave up last year and how much that Jalen Daniels was running for his life. But I, I would probably say there. Um, defensive line, I, I think they've got a chance. Quan Drake, same thing. Well-respected, seems to get the most out of his guys. Uh, you've seen some guys reshape their bodies like Malcolm Lee. Then moving Kyron Johnson to defensive end, I think is pretty fascinating. Um, everybody talks about his athleticism, and he's just been kind of toyed around with when it's been with the different coaching staffs moving inside, outside, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, defensive end. And I think this staff has made it pretty clear. They want him a defensive end. They want his hand on the ground. They want him rushing the quarterback off the edge. So um, I, I would probably go there next. And, um, you know, I, I probably can't, if you want to divide up, the secondary, I, I would say they're pretty good at safety. You know, uh, you know Kenny Logan, I think, is um, a name that people are going to know about this year and a playmaker, should be on special teams as well, and, and one of the team leaders. And they've got some guys behind him that they feel pretty good about as well, even if it's uh, one of those positions that's kind of specialized. So you probably start there. Um, got to throw in some kudos for, uh, you know, Devin Neal, too. Uh, like, that's, that's a thing right now. Um, you know, he could get a lot of carries, uh, the Lawrence native. Uh, just based off of some, sort of the whispers so far and, and kind of seeing what's going on with that and, and kind of him coming to campus where we've seen him in practices, the type of body that he has uh, right away as a true freshman. It's, it's really impressive. So um, I don't know if he can lift that running back group up into, you know, the top tier of the Big 12 or anything like that, but I think there's already starting to be expectations on him, and I'd be very surprised if he's not a contributor for this team, uh, especially starting with game one. Well, maybe the question here shouldn't even be, can you be better than some of these Big 12 teams at a couple of these position groups or facets of the game? Maybe it should just be, can you be as good as the next worst team? Because, like, uh, for instance, I look at the QB play, and you look at total QBR from last season, you have Spencer Rattler, who was in first, all the way down to 10th, which was Kansas State. And the reason you have an extra one, Texas Tech had two quarterbacks who qualified. And the QBR range from there is 81 to about 50 and a half. The drop-off from Will Howard in 10th to 11th with KU's Jalen Daniels goes from 50 and a half to 23.8. So maybe the question shouldn't even be, can you be better than some of these other schools? Can you be 8th or ninth in a certain regard? Can you just be as good or as bad, depending on how you look at this, as the next worst team in certain areas, maybe the quarterback play? Yeah, that's, that's scary for Kansas, a quarterback. I mean, it has been for a long time. I remember writing a story about QBR a couple of years ago uh, for the Star and talking about that exact thing. I mean, 
at that moment, it was something like KU had had eight of the worst 15 seasons in total QBR uh, since the stat had been released in Big 12 history. And most of those guys were the starting quarterbacks that year. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that's been a mess for Kansas for a while. And, you know, you have to be honest about this. You know, sometimes what plays into that is the circumstances that person is in. You know, if you have a horrible offensive line, it's going to be hard to, to pull an average QBR just because, uh, you know, you have no time to do anything and you've got no running game. So, uh, and you're, off, you're down 42 nothing because your defense can't stop anybody. So all those things play into it. But, yeah, and it's, it's so tough. I mean, it's, if they get something out of that position more than expected, that'll be a big win. It just really will be um, because it's been so bad and because, you know, there's still questions about the offensive line, even if I think there's reasons for optimism. And, you know, they're installing a new offense. And the guys back there, none of them are really proven. I, I mean, all of them are really question marks at this point, whether you want to talk about Jalen Daniels or Jason Dean or Miles Kendrick. And early on in the season, I, I there's so much to know, so much to learn with the new offense, and they're trying to cram it all in in three or four weeks. You know, just hearing from people and about how Miles Kendrick was one of the workout warriors over the over the summer, how he led player led practices and kind of was a leader in that regard, how he studies film, how he knows things. Um, yeah. Listen, everybody's seen Miles Kendrick play, and then there are obvious physical limitations that he's shown so far, um, you know, running-wise, throwing-wise, all those sorts of things at Kansas. But I'm sort of at the point where I, I think he has to be considered one of the leaders right now for this job, especially against South Dakota, which is the most, most important game of the season, because if you're looking at it from a coach's standpoint, if you call a play, you want the play run, you know? If you're calling a certain pass play, you want the guy to throw it on the right route and not just throw a pick six and lose the game for you before you even start it. And right now, it seems to me, from all that people have talked about, it, it, that guy so far has been Miles Kendrick. So we'll see. We'll see if Jalen Daniels, amazing talent, amazing arm, you know, had some, some running ability too. And Jason Venus started some games in North Texas, came in over the summer. Maybe they can replace him. Maybe they can leap over him. And uh, maybe I'm putting too much into that for right now. But, uh, all those things are things that have to go through the minds of these coaches right now, especially in such an important game on September 3rd. And so um, that's a reason, again, I know how the fan base will react to that if Miles Kendrick is the game one starter because they've seen him play before and they've seen him be, you know, disappointing for the most part in game sequences. But I'm here to tell you, if you're out there and you're trying to run the offense and you just want the thing run correctly, Miles Kendrick might be the guy, and he might be the guy in that first game against South Dakota. Yeah, and let's not forget, I mean, we've seen Montel Cozart and Ryan Willis go to other schools under different coaching staffs that better suited what they did, and they ended up having better seasons. You know, I, I think there's a realistic chance that Miles Kendrick, just with a better coaching staff around him, he just has a better season. That's definitely possible. And as you were giving that answer, I was kind of scrolling through as well and looking back to some of those total QBR years that you were referring to, and you have some of these big drop-offs. But the one season that you didn't have that, 2019, Carter Stanley had a 62 QBR, which was eighth in the Big 12, a couple quarterbacks behind him. He was only a few points behind seventh place with Spencer Sanders. And sure enough, I don't think it's any coincidence that 2019 was probably the best team you've had in the last decade when you consider they won three games, but they probably should have won more when you look at the 12-7 loss to Coastal Carolina, when you look at the 29-24 loss to West Virginia, when you look at the 50-48 to loss to Texas, even the Iowa State game you were in it late. Maybe it's just that simple. Maybe it's just as simple to say if KU can get solid QB play, not the worst in the conference, then, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to be a bull team, but that's the difference with them between them being competitive this year and not. That's amazing, isn't it? And I know it's the old cliche, but I, this, this is a cliche I actually believe. Quarterback is the most important position in all the sports. I 100% 
believe it. I know everybody hears it and they roll their eyes, all those sorts of things. But yeah, it's it's a big deal. They touch the ball every play. You know, they potentially can audible out of things. They can get you into better looks. They can make sure that a play is executed. They can they can look down the line and say, hey, my receiver's not eligible, um, and so he needs to screw off the line, and, and I can fix that for him. Or hey, uh, this blitz is coming. I need to shuffle my uh, you know, offensive line uh, to, to a different coverage, uh, you know, different blocking scheme. Yeah. There's so much that they do and so much that they can help. And you mentioned it, the one guy. I mean, Jordan Webb, I think, had a good, decent season somewhere in there. Michael Cummings had a good half of a season uh, way back. But, again, even that, I'm dating myself because that's eight or nine years ago by now, I would think, seven, eight, nine years ago. But, yeah, the, the one exception to the rule has been Carter Stanley, and that was the best season that KU football's had in recent years. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be that simple, but to get there can be very complicated. And like I said, uh, at least at this moment, uh, KU has options at quarterback, but very unproven options and a lot of question marks. And so we'll see how it all plays out. I do think this coaching staff will rely pretty heavily on the run. Uh, I don't think there's any secret about that. They're going to try to get things going in that regard. Take some air out of the ball. Try to slow things down. Maybe use a little bit of K-State, you know, where you're you're limiting plays, limiting possessions, and trying to give yourself a chance there. So uh, a running game could definitely help with that. But, again, that just adds to the question marks when it comes to KU football because nothing is guaranteed with that aspect of the game as well. Talking with Jesse Newell, Kansas City star. Real quick, normally during the college basketball season, we give you our Kiss, Mary Kill with different teams and the AP poll or whatnot. Kiss, Mary Kill for topics right now. College football realignment, KU NCAA investigation, or KU quarterback battle? Oh, man, I'm killing realignment talk. Um, <laughs> thank you for not bringing it up. <laughs> you know, it, this thing is going to last years, so if we want to keep talking about it, I guess we have to. Um, I guess I'll marry the NCAA investigation because mm. this is something that's going on forever. And, uh, you know, might as well get a long-term relationship with that. And so definitely kiss the QB battle. It's the hot topic right now. It's what people are going to be talking about. But I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy to be out there at practices and talk to people and feel like it's not a normal COVID year anymore. So uh, this is great. Bring on football season. He's Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work in the Kansas City Star. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right, that was Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. It's week one of the preseason for the Chiefs. I guess week one for everybody in the NFL of the preseason, except for the teams who played in the Hall of Fame game. Josh Klingler, who is the sideline reporter for the Chiefs Radio Network, also hosts the morning show at Sports Radio 610, joins us now on the show. Josh, is there going to be anything in particular that you're going to be keeping a keen eye on in the game outside of just hoping that Patrick Mahomes uh, stays healthy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the number one thing, right? And then, you know, I think there's some interesting position battles um, ahead. I think, I think especially the wide receiver group. I think that's that's about as deep uh, as, as they've had it in terms of, you know, numbers of, of wide receivers. I think at the end of camp, it's going to be pretty tough to make uh, those decisions. And, you know, the, the defensive line rotation, I'm really excited about the, the depth of the, the defensive line and their ability to play, you know, a couple – uh, two and a half deep, <laughs> probably at that defensive line position. So a lot of spots there. And then, yeah, exactly how the, uh, the corner situation is going to shake out. Maybe the safety situation as well, um, with, uh, with, with a numbers game. And, uh, you know, you don't get all those answers, obviously, in game number one, but should see a lot of bodies on the field, uh, Saturday night. Talking with Josh Klingler here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The offensive line has obviously been the big story of the offseason for the Chiefs with how they've, revamped it, bringing in rookies, bringing in 
guys like Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown via transaction. How long do you think it's going to take for the offensive line to mesh together? Do you think this could be something that maybe is a little more counterintuitive than what we're used to with Andy Reid, where it does take a little bit more time than instead of just seeing them right off the bat in September being unbeatable? Yeah, I mean, we'd love to just just pencil it in and go, but you know, you're you're, you're talking about five brand new offensive linemen uh, potentially starting on opening day, and so three of which are. You know, two two true rookies, and then Lucas Niang's basically a rookie after uh, after opting out last year. So um, you know, uh, you got to expect some growing pains. But you know, I, I think you know, I think w- whatever it was that we saw in the in the Super Bowl versus what we see on Opening Day, I think everybody will probably give it a little bit of time, right? That it won't be uh, it won't be the mix that it was uh, in the, in that Super Bowl matchup. And you know, I, I still look back at that game and. And just say, I, I really thought they're going to be able to get by for kind of one more week, kind of patching together what they did along that offensive line. But you know, obviously, the the work that they did in the offseason to completely revamp this thing is is pretty amazing. And then to have a team that goes to the Super Bowl that comes back and it has five new offensive linemen, three of which are first year players, isn't normally uh, considered an ideal situation, right? If you have five new offensive linemen on a team, it's probably because you stunk uh, the year before, and so. It is going to be interesting to watch this group and then see if uh, if it is set or if, uh, you know, it is something that's still a little up for grabs. It appears, you know, pretty solidified, uh, but you're talking about youngsters playing at a, at a couple of those spots, and, you know, if they get off to shaky starts even in the preseason, maybe they uh, they go with some veterans. So I uh, can never have enough depth, as we learned last year, along the offensive line, and so they have a bunch of guys that are currently listed as, you know, backups that uh, – played a lot of snaps a season ago and so you have you have the the option if if it's not something to your liking but it looks like that the first group will include those those young guys until I think really until they prove they can't do it I think it, it is their job uh, to lose at this point and I think Trey Smith rings perfectly in what you're saying especially when you get the news about LDT uh, being out with the broken bone in his hand where does Trey Smith getting into game action? rank for you among players that you're going to be kind of most uh, interested to watch on on the uh, week one preseason game? Oh, super excited. I mean, it was right away on, on draft day that, I mean, they were giddy getting this guy. And, and, and certainly he had some, some medical issues he had to work through and, and at, at Tennessee. But, you know, right from the jump, the Chiefs were pretty confident that uh, they could get his, his medicals right and get him on a, a plan where he wasn't, you know, having – uh, any kind of problems, and, and it's as if he hasn't. I mean, it's just, they just boom. He's then they they think they have a steal uh, of the draft at that spot, and so it was real early on that they were excited about it and thought that that it wasn't going to be an issue. Um, and and then you're seeing him, you know, perform pretty well each and every day at that at that uh, right guard spot. So um, he could end up being a, a steal of the draft for the uh, for the Chiefs and a huge impact. And then you know, forward thinking. Uh, you have those three offensive linemen. I mean, you want to play. You want to play youth, right? Uh, the quarterback's going to eventually, you know, his, his dollar figure is going to go up and up. And so, if you can get young players on rookie contracts contributing right away, I mean, that's that's about all you can ask for. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see both Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. And then, you know, if, if Mike Remmers uh, is is back to health, will Lucas Niang be a guy that that? comes off the bench or will he solidify the right tackle spot um i'm I'm just really excited to see how it how it shakes out it appears again um 
I really thought we'd be talking during camp that, that Andy Reid would be mix, mixing matching offensive lines and we'd be going, all right, so who are the starters? Or, or we're assuming uh, uh, some group. But, no, I mean, it's just here are the five guys that threw out there basically from the jump. And, and they're not you know, playing that, oh, let's wait and see game with this, with this group. This appears to be the, uh, the starting five up front. Talking with Josh Klingler here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, you mentioned the excitement to see some of the receiver battles. Uh, what do you think is more likely? We get a breakout from McCole Hardman this year. When I say breakout, I'm not saying like all pro or anything, but breakout into that number two role that maybe we've been waiting to happen, or do you think it's more likely that we're looking at week three of the preseason and when more cuts have occurred, maybe there's some extra receivers out available as free agents that the Chiefs scoop one of those guys up to hope that he can kind of fill into that role. No, I think it is going to be this group. Um, what I'd like to see is one of these guys kind of kind of grab that job. You know, um, McCole Hardman, obviously because of the uh, the draft status. But I mean, I think I think that they're a combined group that's pretty solid and pretty deep. But yes, would you like somebody to kind of separate? Would you like it to probably be McCole Hardman? Yeah, I think I think that absolutely would be the uh, the case. They have uh, discussed uh, his his uh, maturity. That's been a big word surrounding him uh, in this camp, entering year number three. And uh, while we didn't hear that there was immaturity in years one and two, that certainly uh, sounds like it was the case from you know teammates around him and and, and such that that maybe he was a guy with a, with a bunch of talent, but it hadn't quite quite clicked yet um, of of how you kind of buckle down and and develop and grow and those types of things. And so this is a big year ahead for McCole Hardman, I think. And uh, and I don't know if it'll end up being at the end of it, Derek, like like stats like you won't look at it and go i mean it's pretty pretty hard there's only happened i think five times in nfl history we've had three 1000 yard receivers right so i don't think it's going to be stats necessarily but i think he's going to pass some eye hopefully pass some eye test things where you say yes i see where he's had this growth this year i see uh an uptick certainly in 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 some yardage to some capacity but you know he's around uh just under 600 yards each in the his first two years so to me, if you get up in that 800-yard range and you boost your touchdowns by you know uh, a couple, uh, three receiving, if he's in the 800-yard, eight-touchdown range, I think he's going to be fine. And it could be an entire season where it's by committee. Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, uh, maybe, a, maybe a Marcus Kemp uh, slides in there, or uh, they do like Antonio Callaway, who did have a little bit of a kind of a setback with the injuries in this camp. But um, I'll, I'll be interested to see at the end of it, and that's after the three games, uh, where they sit in terms of, of, of wide receiver depth because they're going to have some decisions to be made, um, you know, kind of the, the bottom end of that wide receiver group. Guys like uh, Marcus Camp who've been around, guys like Garrett Dieter who've been around, um, will they uh, kind of stick around and help out special teams or will they, uh, you know, go with some new blood? Cornell Powell hasn't had the fastest of camps, the, uh, the, the draft pick. Um, at, at a wide receiver spot, but you know he's still listed, you know, in uh, in the in the two deep right now, unofficially on offense. So he's going to have some some preseason work ahead to kind of fend off some of these other maybe more veteran guys. All right, we haven't talked about the defense at all, so uh, I, I feel like <laughs> on that end, I mean, you have questions all over the defense, like simple as how does Chris Jones transition to D end, or are they going to roll it out with a couple rookie linebackers? Who's going to step up at corner? Uh, which of the storylines on the defensive side do you think is the most important that they need to figure out in the early going here? 
Well, I say corner. I think we looked at corner every year and go, uh, are they short on corners? And they seem to figure it out. <laughs> like it's just, just kind of like year to year out. So, you know, how will they use Legereus Sneed? I mean, I'm kind of interested with that because um, he could be a guy that they move around a lot at that uh, corner spot. It will start when they're with two corners, and then when there are three, may move him around a little bit. So who's that extra corner? Mike Hughes is getting quite a bit of playing time there, but there's some others kind of pushing. Um, Chris Jones, I mean, uh, I, I was heading into camp saying, um, you know, I, I wonder what how many plays are going to play Chris Jones on the outside versus the inside. I mean, he looks like a defensive end now. I mean, he shed weight. Um, the 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 eye test right away went, wow, he looks vastly different. He doesn't look uh, bulky inside defensive tackle anymore. He looks like lean, get around the corner um, defensive end machine. And so I, I'm really. Uh, liking what I see in, in Chris Jones because there's you know there's a little more on the inside this year the the acquisition of Jaron Reed I think is one of the more unsung ones and that's freed up Chris Jones to be able to move to the outside he's transformed his body quite a bit to be on the outside so uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch him kind of screaming off the edge this year I think the uh, the rotation defensive line will be an interesting one to follow as well Treshawn Wharton who was kind of a a real kind of camp eye-opener last year, um, has an opportunity now to take a step in, in year number two. Mike Dana, who who contributed quite a bit on the on the edge last year, heading into year two. And then, then obviously, uh, you know, Nick Bolton and, and Willie Gay at the, uh, the linebacker spots and how those shake out. Anthony Hitchens dealing with a little bit of a hamstring during camp had kind of opened the door for, for a little more Nick Bolton to play, which was, which was interesting. Willie Gay was in the concussion protocol. So hopefully that's not a, a, a setback and we get a little bit more ahead of, of Saturday. I mean, it doesn't have to be Saturday, obviously, with the, with the preseason opener. But um, I think we want to, you know, based on what we saw last year, right, we want to see Willie Gay on the field as much as possible. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of, I don't know if question marks are necessarily a thing, but just basically how, how that kind of rotation shakes out, especially the linebacker spot. Eventually, you know, if you get Willie Gay and Nick Bolton on the field, you know, quite a bit, you're going to take a, kind of an uptick in speed, but don't rule out the wily Anthony Hitchens. I mean, he's, he's a veteran guy that they trust and has got a lot of playing time for, for a reason and is one of the real leaders on this defense too. He is Josh Klingler. You can hear him on the call of the game on the Chiefs Radio Network, sideline reporter, also Sports Radio 610 host. Josh, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm going to have to make an adjustment, though. I don't know about you, but normally during the preseason, I'm, I'm kind of dialed out after halftime. But I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, con- I'm contracted now to be there for all four quarters. So I'm really going to watch depth probably more, more than I ever have. We didn't have preseason last year when I was doing this, you know. So, so those games were, were often counting. And uh, so I, I, will, I will do my best to focus on four quarters of, of preseason football. So let's go. Hey, as much as all the players have been asked to pass their conditioning tests and to be in proper shape for the season, that's the real conditioning right there, getting conditioned for four quarters of preseason football. Josh, thanks again for the time. You bet, anytime. All right, that was Josh Klingler joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's going to do it for today's edition of RCST. Very short show, thanks to the Royals, who were bums and couldn't even beat the Yankees. I know, right? Uh, All right, see you tomorrow. I'm Derek Johnson. Later.